0: Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm so glad you're with us. I'm Colby. I'm the lead pastor And uh, we're passionate, I'm passionate about reaching Kelowna, about planting a church um, that's in Kelowna for the next 20 years. We'd actually love to plant churches all across Kelowna. I think we have one of the best teams ever to do this. Um, And that's why for us, when we're talking about like um, going to an actual live physical service, we actually want to do the wise thing. We're going to be strategic, um, we're going to be thorough and and thoughtful. Um, we don't want to rush into it. And so I think for people asking kind of what's our plan, we have a couple plans that we're working on, and we're going to actually have them on our YouTube page. So all you have to do is go to our YouTube channel. Um, it's like Live Free Church Kelowna. Search it on YouTube. Click the subscribe button, and you'll be notified when we post a video on just what our plan is. We have kind of three phases we're working through. Um, but we don't want to be reckless um, because we want to be here for a long time, and we think that um, the way to be good stewards... Of our time in Kelowna, be great neighbors, is to actually just be be reliable and strategic in how we actually um, be back in a physical location in a live service, not digital service. So um, with that said, we would love to connect with you, because I think for us, um, I sent out a a weekly email, one of my emails that said last week was that we, um, someone corrected me and said, you know, actually you have launched your church, we're not waiting to launch, and we actually have a community um, of people that are amazing, great friends of mine. Who, who um, we gather in community groups, but also we have a launch team and we have a board. So we would love for you to get connected into our church, whatever way possible. Um, even if you just want to like get a coffee and talk about what, who we are and what we want to do in Kelowna, um, I'd love to meet with you. So all you have to do is just you know DM us on Facebook um, or on Instagram, and we'd love to I'd love to buy a cup of coffee and just get to know who you are, your story. Um, where you're at in Kelowna. So so simple. We'd love to connect with you. But here's one thing I realized in, in, in this time in a pandemic, um, what we're facing in Kelowna, kind of like this extra outbreak, is that things are complicated. Um, relationships are very complicated. And today we're looking at a sermon that's that's all talking about husbands and wives. And here's what I know about, about relationships, is that they're so Unique and complicated and sometimes messy. Like, aren't all relationships complicated, especially in a pandemic? Like, I don't know about you, but how do you even navigate who people are in your bubble? Like, for us, my wife is a, is a first responder. She's a emergency nurse in Kelowna. And a lot of times people's responses to my wife working in the hospital is like, is she Okay. Can we actually come to your house? Can we hang out? Has your wife been exposed to COVID? Like, people are are very unique and very interesting in that situation. But I think for us, in our relationships, there's so much stress and pressure on our relationships right now in a pandemic. You think about the fact that in China, in the first wave in China where they locked everything down, divorce rates went exponentially high because guess what? People were stressed out. They were at home. They had no money. And they were locked in with their spouse for months. Right? Relationships are complicated. I don't know what your relationship is like. I don't know what your marriage is like. But we're in a period in history like none other. I know no one who's been through a pandemic. My my wife's grandma is in her 90s, and my kids were like, you know, was Grandma Carol in the last pandemic? She wasn't. Right? Like, our kids, maybe she was born in a pandemic, but she wasn't through it like this. You know, we've never been through a moment like this. We've never been through a, a sticky time like this where our whole world is kind of shut down um, economically. Like, we're, we're in a very unique spot. You know, when we looked at this passage, when we we're talking about, like, we want to preach through First Peter, because I think that for us... You know, preaching through a passage or a letter like this that, that Peter wrote a letter to people who were suffering, who were being persecuted, who were, who were foreigners, strangers in their own land. It has lots to do with the fact that for us, we can find strength in moments when we are weak. And there's something that historically happened to the church that the church flourished when it was persecuted. It flourished when, when people were weak, when they are persecuted, when they suffered. There's this beautiful thing that happened to the early church that that... It grew when it was being persecuted. When we look at this passage in First Peter, when David and I talked about, about preaching through this book, this letter, that one of the things that we kind of got to was like, there's a passage in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, which we're looking at today. And David's like, I'm not gonna to touch that passage. Right? Like, I remember you like, how are we going to actually deal with this passage where it's talking about wives and husbands, husbands and wives? Just like, you know, when Bob was like here a few weeks ago, he said, Thanks, Colby, for giving me a passage about slaves and masters. <laughs> this is a passage talking about submission for wives and husbands, and husbands and wives. You know, when we look at the Bible, we don't get to just pick through passages that, that we want to preach on. We're preaching through a whole letter or a whole book, or a gospel, that we're preaching through it verse by verse because we believe that, that God's words are inspired, that there's nothing like the Bible. The Bible has authority for us, that we actually look at where we, where we find authority or truth in our life, it comes from God's words. So we're going to tackle this passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and and I think that this passage has incredible implications for us in our relationships, um, in our marriages. And I think for, for you, if you're not in a marriage, um, this has implications for one day when you're looking for someone to marry. The person that you're looking for. The posture that you actually are in a relationship. And so we're looking at First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says here, In the same way wives submit yourselves to your own husbands, So that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way they live their lives, by by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure and reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adored themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so you, your prayers will not be hindered. So here's the thing I want us to think about today is that there's kind of three points I'm making as, as one is that the gospel changes relationships, how following Jesus, how the gospel actually makes you internally beautiful and how, how the gospel actually makes you become co-heirs in the kingdom of God, but also in this, this marriage relationship. So the first point is that the, the gospel changes our relationships. It shows us how to honor people. It changes the relational dynamic of marriages. In verse 1, it says here, what a loaded statement, right? It says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure and reverent lives. You know, when he says, the same way, what Peter's trying to, like, talk about it, about people who are who are actually in a marriage who are in a relationship he's kind of riffing on he's talking about chapter 2 on submission because it's all one continuation right citizens be submissive to civil authority servants be submissive to masters your posture if you're a Christian isn't to see what you can get out of some relationship or it's civil institution it's actually seeing how you can actually serve someone to submit to someone because when you look at Christ the person that we follow, our whole Bible points to one central, that central event and it's Christ's death and resurrection. And it's all about the fact that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And that's why when you follow Jesus, your posture is to actually serve just like Jesus serves people. Just like he served you and I. Just like he hung on a cross to die for our sins because he came to serve you see, in this culture, Peter, Peter is actually speaking to the wife who didn't have the same legal rights that, that our wives have today. You know, they couldn't own property, they couldn't vote, they couldn't testify in court. It's very similar to strict Islamic countries today. I was reading about in Yemen that a wife, if she wants to leave her house, has to ask her husband, has to be like okayed by her husband that she can actually leave the property. See, the wife in this culture that Peter's talking about didn't have the same rights. The situation Peter is writing this verse to, this passage, is is speaking to a wife who is a Christian and her husband isn't a follower of Jesus. See, most of the time, historically, if a husband converts to Christ, so does the whole family. But the opposite usually isn't true. And this is the reason why, I think, for us, why we we want to reach men and women. But a lot of times the church has been just postured just towards women. Because we believe that if we can reach a man and a wife, husband and a wife, we can actually reach a whole family. But what he's trying to say here is, the person's asking is, what do you do? What do you do if, if, if my husband doesn't believe in Jesus but the wife does believe in Jesus? Right, what he's trying to say here is that If you're in a relationship with someone, if you're married to someone who doesn't know Christ, doesn't know that that Christianity isn't just a bunch of rules, it's about a, a person, a central event in human history that changed the world, the resurrection of Christ, that he lived and he died and he rose again, it changed everything. When you realize that, you serve people. You see, if you're in a relationship with someone who isn't a follower of Christ, you pray for them. So, Peter's saying here is you serve them, you respect them. Often, when I talk to people in pre marriage counseling, um, and I talk about how the fact that when when you're like a young 20 something, um, it doesn't matter who you are. I always tell the person, like, don't hold that person who they are right now like this. Because, like, I don't even know what I like, what kind of cereal I liked when I was in my early 20s, let alone who I was going to become. I feel like I finally figured that out in my 30s. It was actually figuring out who actually I am in Christ. Who God made me to be. That kind of being sexy in your own skin, like feeling comfortable. took me a long time. And a lot of times I tell people in pre-marriage counseling with me is that don't hold them like this, hold them like this. When you look at your spouse. Wives, look at your husbands. Let them adapt and grow. Like you're not the Holy Spirit for their life but you have to be the witness for their life. You see, here's the thing. That you might be the only version of the Bible that person ever reads. And that's what Peter here is saying. Peter here is saying is, you're like, let your life be an example. He said, let your whole life be an example. Like, you might be the only version of the Bible someone ever reads, and it's your life. And if you're in a relationship with someone who isn't a Christian, your life is the... Is the example of Christ. If He's your God, your character is your resume. It doesn't mean that you're like this incredible, impeccable, amazing, holy person. It just means that that your life, your character, deeply, your authenticity, your transparency is, is your resume. That Christ is doing a work in you, changing you. You're honored to others, especially to your spouse shows and declares Christ's love for you. It shows that you understand the depths of your sin and your brokenness. That Jesus looked at you not for what you could do, but, what, but he came as a servant to die for you and for my sin. So we could be truly found, so our identity could be truly found in that. So our character could be formed, not by external things, but by that thing. And, and that's the reason why when we look at our spouse, when a wife looks at a husband, she doesn't look at, what can I get out of the situation? What can I get out of my husband? What can I get out of my, a bigger bank account or a bigger house? Or this perfect family. They're saying, this, can I actually get more of Jesus? Can I pray for my spouse? Can I serve my husband? Can I love him unconditionally? Just like Christ loves me unconditionally. That's the first thing. The first thing is that the gospel changes relationships. It changes relational dynamics. But The second thing is the gospel, the fact that you and I are broken, sinful people, that's what the gospel is, that we're broken, sinful people, and God came to live and die and rise again so we could be free from sin, Satan, and death and find our true identity in Him and Him alone. The gospel makes you internally beautiful. In verse 3, it says here, Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adore themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good. And do not fear any intimidation. Like, I think Kelowna needs to hear this. <laughs> if there's a passage in the Bible in, in 1 Peter, Kelowna needs to hear this. Like, you're not what you wear, you're not what you look like. Like, we live in a city that's fixated on beauty. We live in a beautiful place, don't we? Like, I love Kelowna, that in our, one of our statements for our church, that we believe that Kelowna has the potential for human flourishing, but also human idolatry. That the things that might be great things become the ultimate things in our lives. And Peter here is saying that there's an internal beauty in a wife. There's characteristics, there's qualities internally that make her so beautiful, so captivating that it becomes like this incredible sight to see. But here's the thing, internal beauty can't be manufactured, it can't be bought. There's an internal beauty that comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from following him. It comes from being like Him, serving like Him. You know, in Kelowna, I think that we value beauty like nothing else. You know, like there's, there's so much potential in Kelowna, but I think when I drive around Kelowna, I was driving around my kids a couple days ago. We came back from Gyro Beach, and they're like, let's just drive down Lakeshore. And, you know, my kids are like, let's drive down, down downtown Kelowna because last time we saw three Ferraris. That's what my kids said. <laughs> And I was like, three Ferraris? Like, how do you even know what this is, right? Like, they just want to see it. They're like, oh, Beckett, my son's like, there's a Ferrari, oh my goodness, look at that. But you, if you want to know what things you value, the things that you desire, just hear what your kids talk about. Like, when I lived in Salmon Arm, which I was before this for the last seven years, is that when we were in Salmon Arm, our kids always talked about, like, being famous sports athletes. Right, like, being the next famous Base basketball player or baseball player. You know, because, you know, at they had Shea Weber. You know, they had the like famous hockey players that came out of Salmon Arm. Like, I think for, for Salmon Arm, like the family unit, the, the thing that the, the kids did is what drove the family, their athletics. That's still in Kelowna. But I've never heard it's interesting. When we moved to Kelowna, our kids said things like, oh, like, my friend, when he's he saving money up as a 10-year-old to buy a Porsche, it's like, good luck with that, right? Or we're driving home one day, and my daughter says, you know, I want a house that overlooks the lake, has this beautiful view. I was like, who talks like that? Because we live in Rutland. Like, we don't have this beautiful, incredible view. We have a beautiful property. But I'm like, who's talking like this? Right? Like, our kids pick up on the things, the nuances that we like or we are driven by, the beauty that we're actually captivated by. I think Kelowna is is constantly trying to hold on to external beauty, grasping for something to make them look internally beautiful. Because guess what? People, who I think, sometimes who externally look so all put together, deep down are just like a, a dumpster fire. And that could be you. You could be beaming in from, from your house or on YouTube or Facebook, In your life might look good on the outside, might look perfect on the outside. Your Instagram account looks incredible, but deep down... Your relationship, your spouse, your relationship, your spouse is just destroyed. And here's what we're saying is we'd love to get to know you and talk to you. To walk you through a really awful time. Show you what internal beauty looks like when it's found not in your external possessions like Kelowna is so driven by. The car you drive, the house you live in, where you live in, like the neighborhood you live in. Like it's all driven in Kelowna By externals. But guess what? Internally, I think people are so bitter and angry and anxious and broken like nothing else. Peter's saying here is that the gospel changes your desires. The gospel changes everything about your life and it makes you internally beautiful. Your life isn't based on your sum total of your life, but it's actually based on the sum total of Christ's life. When you look at that, when you look at that, we're not bringing anything to Christ. Like it's not because of you and your, your external beauty and your possessions that Christ died because he loves you and he knows you. You see, it doesn't mean you have to have it all together either. It doesn't mean that you have to that you, when, you, when you accept the, the rally with Christ did on the cross for you I think a lot of times, especially in Kelowna people just put it as like this trinket up on a shelf in their life of like, okay, yeah, guess what? My, my externally beautiful life, I'm just going to add in Jesus into it as this moralistic, religious thing I put up on the shelf. But deep down, the gospel, what it does, if you actually really know what it is, blows up your whole life and reorientates it. It builds a whole new foundation. Not based on your achievements, but based on what Christ achieved for you on the cross. No, that's an internal beauty that can't be taken away. See, Peter gives the example of Sarah from Genesis, chapter 18, verse 12. You can go check it out later. He calls the attention to the fact that Sarah spoke of Abraham as her master, but it wasn't just like a mister or a sir. It was like this, this reverence that she had for her husband. And that's what that's what... Peter's saying here is that Sarah had this reverence, this internal beauty that she wasn't perfect. You look at through Genesis, Sarah was a really messed up person. You know, she had anxiety and fear, and about the fact that she couldn't bore a son. But she always came back to God. She always was obedient. Her posture wasn't what can I get? It was actually how can I serve. And what Peter is saying here is that made her so beautiful. It's like when Jesus talks about the fact that the last will be first and the first will be last. There's a reorientation in the gospel that internally, when you serve people, when you love people, when you serve your neighbors, your spouse, your husband, it makes you incredibly beautiful and attractive. You know, I think this question for us is, is like, the, you know, do you want to be internally beautiful? Because I think in Kelowna, the weirdest so fixated on external beauty. I think we get this messed up all the time. I think this is where we've kind of blended in Buddhism into Christianity because Buddhism says you have to actually empty all your thoughts out. Think about nothing. That's how you become really incredible and really beautiful. But Christianity says actually no, meditation isn't emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with Christ and his thoughts, what God thinks about you. That he knit you together in your mother's womb in Psalm 139. It says that. That you can flee nowhere from God. Because God knows you and he loves you. See, following Jesus makes you internally beautiful. Because it gives you a purpose, not based on your accomplishments, but on Christ's accomplishments. The last thing is that the gospel makes you co-heirs. You know, it says here verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, the same way, what is it talking here? It's not talking about, it's talking about the same way as he's talking about wives. Same way he's talking about all Christians respecting civil authority. The same way he's talking about slaves in the relationship to masters. Submit, serve, love, that's your posture. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in understanding in this understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. See, in that culture, having a wife didn't mean that she was a friend. It doesn't mean that they were a team. It means that it actually it was just a transactional thing that you found a wife to actually kind of be a servant in your house, to raise your kids, and to make your life look better. It wasn't actually the way we view spouses today. When we look at, you know, my wife and I, people use the term, like, you know, my um, my soulmate, right? Like, when I saw Lori in grade 10 in high school in Quinnell, I was like, who is this beautiful, amazing person, right? Like, but in that culture that Peter's talking to you, isn't like that. It was just transactional. There was no intimacy, no friendship. And Peter here is saying here, just like the fact that, when you understand the gospel, it changes your relationships. The gospel makes you internally beautiful, but also the gospel makes you co-heirs. It makes you actually like friends, companions, that you submit to one another. In Romans 8, verse 17, it says here, if children also heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. See, here's what it's saying here, is that you and I, if you don't know Jesus, we deserve death. But if you know Jesus, you get life. In John 10, it says here, in life to the fullest. You become, when our identity is found not in your external achievements, but in Christ, you become a co-heir with Christ. And what does it mean for your marriage? It still means for us that we believe the the man is the head of the household, but still it means that you respect, you elevate people on a whole new posture. That you're in this together. That you respect your wife if you're a husband, her ideas, her opinions. You don't dominate, you don't abuse. As a husband, you honor. In the original language, it actually meant precious. You, You view your relationship as precious. How do you view your spouse? Is he or she precious to you? My wife and I were at a conference this past fall, a marriage conference, and our friend was speaking at it, and so we were at there, and she said, there's this method of counseling called the Gottman Method, and they can actually tell within five minutes of meeting a couple whether or not their marriage is going to succeed or not. And I was just like, I think every man in that, in that moment was like, oh my goodness, like, I want to know, will we succeed? <laughs> But what it's trying to say here is that the way you view your marriage, the way you think about it, like they have three horsemen of the, of the apocalypse, supposedly, they talk about in the context of a marriage, that destroy a marriage, and one of them is contempt. Like If you're always rolling your eyes at your spouse, if you have deep disdain for them, it's not going to last. What Peter's saying here is that when you understand that, that God thinks of you, As precious children, it changes your posture towards your wife. It makes you honor her. Not domineering, not emotionally or verbally abusing, not gaslighting, but actually seeing your relationship, seeing her life as precious, it changes things. I think for a lot of times in marriages, especially in, I've seen in working in the church that there's a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships that externally look incredible, but deep down under all the, you know, the veneer, they're just like, people are not doing okay. You get a car with someone, they're just like bickering at their husband or their wife, and you're like, what is going on here? Like I've counseled people when they've come into my office and talked about the fact that, that on the outside, they look so perfect, but deep down at their house, People upstairs in their house can actually hear them just swearing and F words at each other all the time, all the day, every day about their conflicts and their relationships. You see, what Peter is saying here is that if your identity is found in Christ, your posture isn't about what you can get out of this person. And that's if you're a wife looking at your husband. It's not like what you can attain or achieve through your husband. And if, it's with your, if you're a husband, it's not the same thing with your wife. You're just viewing your wife as a means to attain something else. It means that your posture is that you serve, you love. Because Christ has so freely loved you. So husbands, here's a question. How do you, how do you honor your wives? I've kind of three points and I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up. You honor them spiritually. You pray for her. You share with her what you're reading in your Bible, what you're thinking about, what you're praying through. I think one of the greatest things that that we're working on, my wife and I, is actually trying to find friends who know Jesus and actually build into our life. Like actually having authentic, real friendships that can build into your life spiritually. Not take out of your life spiritually. You honor them physically. You're present when she's talking. Husbands, doesn't mean you're on your phone. Doesn't mean you're like sitting at dinner and you're just like zoning out. Like you're actually attentive. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I do this all the time. A lot of times, I have to put my phone down when Lori's talking about something really profound, about what, what she's working through in her own life. Not just sexual touching all the time. Like giving actual affirmation to your wife. Being protective of her when you're in conversation with other people. You know, I don't know if... With, for some reason, I feel like I came out of a culture where sarcasm was like kind of the language that we used. And a lot of times, people talked about people's wives or people's relationships. And I think what we're trying to say here is that be protective of them, of your wife. Honoring them emotionally. Again, being emotionally present, not disclosing to the wrong person and putting that stupid phone away. Like having times where, you know, I, I feel like a parent saying this, but when you're out for dinner, put the phone away. Having Instagrammable moments, like you don't need that moment to be Instagrammable. <laughs> or taking a photo of your date and this putting the phone away, but actually having a real conversation. Because I hope that husbands, you view your wife, your relationship as precious. Wives, I hope you view your husband, your, your marriage as precious that you'd submit to each other. See, if if you follow Jesus, here's what I want you to realize is that your posture is serving. Your posture is loving. It's loving people. It's looking at the things that might be beautiful on the outward, but deep down, you might just be a dumpster fire. Like your posture, your life, we want people because of the gospel, to have relationships that look so different. Christianity historically always elevated the place of women. But we would actually love to see the fact that relationships are a beautiful. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Not just another thing to check off the list of you looking like this perfect life. But if you're looking at your life only focused on the external things, your life will never measure up and it'll never be internally beautiful because the gospel affects the internal things. It changes your affections, the things that drive you, the, the things that you, your heart's posturing towards. If you're a wife, you're asking the question, how can I honor and serve my husband? And if you're a husband, you're actually asking the exact same thing. How can I honor and serve my wife? You're not looking at the person thinking, what can I get out of this? But what can I bring to this relationship? How can I serve this person? How can I help this person grow into their ultimate potential found in Jesus? Not just buying them the next best thing, but actually seeing how can the gospel actually change people's lives, not just 2,000 years ago, but right now, today. I'm just gonna pray. And if you would say, hey, you know what, maybe my whole life has been based on external things, and actually internally I wanna focus on the things the affections of my heart, the things that have held my life captive, I'd love to pray for you. Because I think that for us in Kelowna, that we're so focused on the external things. We want the gospel to affect all of your life, to change all of your life, not be compartmentalized. Let's pray. God, I thank you for marriages. I thank you for how you've called us to be and in a marriage. I think about this passage that speaks specifically to wives and husbands in relationships. Lord, I pray that that our posture towards our wife or a wife to her husband is that we want to serve. That we want to bring something to it. We want to love just like you came, Father, not to be served but to serve. Lord, I pray you'd help us understand what does it look like to see the full potential of our husband or wife, see the full potential of our spouse becoming who you called them to be, not who we fantasize them becoming or the ideals we have, but Lord, how do we help them become the person you've called them to become? Father, I pray you'd actually make us internally so beautiful, so captivating to our spouse. Father, I pray that you'd actually show us the gospel, how it could actually affect our lives, our idolatries, the things that we hold captive, the things that hold our lives captive. Lord, whatever we make the ultimate thing in our life, Father, I pray that you would become more precious than that. More precious than our car, our house, our bank account balance, the perception of wealth, the perception of our bodies on social media, Lord, that you become more precious than all that junk. Father, I pray you convict us of the things, the way that we haven't made you the ultimate in our life. Father, I pray you could actually give us a posture of serving our spouse in love. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.